When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound Off. We want to get people back to work. We've got to be paving the pathways. It is up to Congress to kind of set the rules of the road, but you have to wonder what Facebook's final objective is in that. Bloomberg Sound Off. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. If they just simply reopened the economy and returned everyone back to work, we would be, I think, in a better situation today. Washington may squander its best chance to make long overdue investments in our infrastructure. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The gentleman from West Virginia speaks, but did anything change? Welcome back to the bubble and the fastest hour in politics. I will say Senator Joe Manchin knows how to fill the space. On a ghost town Monday in Washington, the president traveling in Europe, he delivers remarks, as I read on the terminal, that slam the brakes on the Biden plan. We'll talk about the politics that matter here from Washington to Glasgow with Bill Hoagland, senior vice president at the Bipartisan Policy Institute. It's election eve. We'll bring you the latest on the governor's race in Virginia, specifically a contest with national implications. Analysis on the way from Eric Wilson of Startup Caucus, former digital director for Ed Gillespie's 2017 run for governor in Virginia. The panel today, Amy Tarkanian, Republican strategist, former chair of the Nevada GOP, joining us along with former Senator Mike Begich, Democrat from Alaska, who's with us for the hour. And this is the very moment Democratic leaders in the House, I can tell you, are holding an important meeting. Speaker Pelosi on down huddling behind closed doors. After Senator Joe Manchin called a news conference on the other side of the Capitol to call for passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill once and for all, as Democrats try to figure out next steps on the reconciliation plan. As I've said before, holding that bill hostage is not going to work to get my support of what you want. It's what we should all agree on and work through the process. I'm open to supporting a final bill that helps move our country forward. But I'm equally open to voting against a bill that hurts our country. Okay, so not exactly new, but could fly in the face of Speaker Pelosi's plans to potentially hold a vote on both soon as tomorrow. Here's the problem. I, for one, won't support a multi-trillion dollar bill without greater clarity about why Congress chooses to ignore the serious effects of inflation and debt that have on our economy and existing government programs. He accused Democrats of playing a shell game with the price tag. He says that could be twice the advertised number. $1.75 trillion is what we're hearing right now. And Manchin is calling now for a complete analysis, the words he used of the plan, to know its true cost. How long will that take? 
Don't ask. Meantime, in Glasgow, President Biden talking up the climate initiatives inside the reconciliation bill. My Build Back Better framework will make historic investments in clean energy, the most significant investment to deal with the climate crisis that any advanced nation has made ever. We're going to cut U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by well over a gigaton by 2030, while making it more affordable for consumers to save on their own energy bills with tax credits for things like installing solar panels, weatherizing their homes. So let's get a 30,000-foot view on all this from a man who's been there. Bill Hoagland is senior vice president at the Bipartisan Policy Institute. Spent 25 years working in the Senate, including a time as director of budget and appropriations for Republican Senate leader Bill Frist. So, Bill, thanks for being here. You tweeted over the weekend that even if the House passes the reconciliation plan this week, the BBB plan, they'll be voting on it again, you say, around Thanksgiving because the Senate will send it back with changes. Are you still of that mind or did Senator Manchin just delay this even further? Well, I may have moved, but from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Now, okay. I do, I do believe there will be a vote on this at some point. I, I think that, uh, yes, Mr. Manchin, as you just said, Joe, uh, fills the space very nicely, and he did. Uh, and he has a strong position in terms of wanting to know what this cost has. It's been costed out by the, uh, uh, the Congressional Budget Office and the Joint Tax Committee. What's in it? He wants to see the legislative language. So he may have put a little hurdle in this. But last word I had is what, uh, as you said, there's a caucus going on right now. So we'll see. But uh, uh, Progressive Jepawa, the uh, progressive congresswoman mm-hmm. uh, who's been leading the progressives, says we intend to vote vote on this in the next couple of days. I still think it's going to be tough this week, but uh, they still have to put the legislation together. It'd be nice to know what the, uh, the scorekeeping is, but they probably won't be able to get that done by the end of the week. Mm-hmm. So this is a uh, 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 this is coming down to the wire here. Remember that the Senate <laughs> is out next week for Veterans Day, back one week, and then they're out for Thanksgiving. So I I'm, maybe I should change my tweet. I, I think more like Christmas and Thanksgiving. All right. So maybe reply to your own tweet and you can tag me in there. Tell them I I pushed you to the edge. I just wonder, though, Bill, as I as I listened to Joe Manchin today, I went back, listened to him again. Technically said nothing new. I mean, I guess the call for a complete analysis was maybe a new wrinkle, but he's said similar things before his concerns about inflation, his concerns about uh, the, the BIF being held hostage. Did anything actually change today? Not not really. He has said that. And more importantly, not only he has said that, but others have said that in the Senate on the Republican side, which, uh, as you know, with a 50-50 Senate makes a big deal here, whether they have any votes from Republicans or not for this. But uh, uh, the procedure is such that even if the Senate or even if the House passes it this week, as I say, uh, that's a a long shot right now. But if they do, uh, it takes 20 hours of debate on the floor of the United States Senate. There's something called Voterama that follows uh, this. Uh, I won't get into the weeds here. Something called the Bird Rule that they take out provisions. It, it is clear to me that regardless of whenever this passes the House and comes to the Senate, yeah. and I assume it will pass the Senate, it will come back to the House. They will have to vote on this again. They'll have to. If you change up one point of punctuation, it comes back, right? That's correct. That's correct. It and they're going to. <laughs> it's gonna. It's and, inevitable. And I, I'm convinced they will change. Something will change. They it may be minor, but whatever it is, it'll come back to the house again. 
What do you think about this caucus meeting that's happening right now? Uh, are, are tempers flaring? Or are they just going back to the, the timeline, the blueprint here? Somebody's going to have to say something tomorrow about when they're voting or why they're not voting tomorrow. Well, I was hoping that maybe somehow trust would be growing between the House and Senate Democratic caucus. <laughs> I worked, As you said, uh, Joe, I work for a Republican, so I'm not exactly the best person to speak to what's going on in the Democratic caucuses. But there was an effort here made by the president before he left uh, to rebuild some trust between the uh, Democrats uh, on the Hill, both on the House and Senate. I'm a little worried that Mr. Manchin's statement this afternoon has probably stirred up that uh, issue a little more, and the trust may not be there. But uh, at the end of the day, I I still think, as as the uh, progressive Japala has said, uh, they will try their best to vote on these bills later this week. Yes, that's the uh, Pramila Jayapal, the the chair of the Progressive Caucus in the House, making a little bit of news, although we've heard all of these things before. It's funny you use the word trust. That's what we're talking about on Capitol Hill. It's what we're talking about on the other side of the ocean here as well. I want to ask you about the president's trip to Europe all the while. This would have been our, our lead probably if Joe Manchin hadn't come out today. With our headline on the Bloomberg, Biden brings trust us pitch to skeptics at U.N. summit. How can you how can you trump the benefits of reconciliation, the better the build back better plan uh, when you're overseas at a at a at a COP26 in this case or the G20 when it's still teetering here in Washington? It's difficult. Uh, The president is good at making these statements and he's good at uh, uh, projecting trust, I think. And I think he's doing the best he can under some very difficult circumstances to uh, bring that to a head, uh, that uh, we are, he is to be trusted that something will happen. I, uh, again, uh, it's always darkest before the sun rises, as I understand, and and I think it is, uh, we're at a very difficult point here for the, for the president and the Democratic caucus, and I think the election in Virginia tomorrow may also bear upon some votes here later this week. So uh, all I can say is, Trust is the realm up there. If you if you don't have that, you don't get anything done. This goes back years of my experience up there. You just have to trust the other person, what they say. And I think it, Manchin has made it very clear what he wants, and yeah. uh, there should not be any any other expectation from any other member that he is very serious about what he's trying to do here, is to bring this into a way that it's transparent, people understand what it costs, what it would have if it has an impact on uh, on inflation, how it will benefit and how it may not benefit certain people. He really is trying, I think, in an odd way to say this, he's trying to help the Democratic Party retain and maintain control of the con- of the Congress in uh, 2022. Well, you did mention that you're a Republican. You might not know what's happening in that caucus meeting, but you're a Republican. You spent a lot of time in the Senate, and that, that part of the story never changes. You can't get anything done without trust. That's exactly, exactly. Bill Hoagland, Senior Vice President of Bipartisan Policy Institute. Bill, I thank you for coming in on this Monday, daring to wade into these waters as everyone is trying to figure out the next move here. And whether it's on Capitol Hill, here inside the bubble, or on the other side of the ocean, where President Biden is trying to get something done, indeed, it all comes down to that, right? Who do you trust? Trust in me in all you do. What I see are shell games, budget gimmies. Have the faith I 
have in you. I don't say, well, I trust you, no problem. I do trust the president. I don't think this is about trust. As I've said before, holding that bill hostage is not going to work to get my support of what you want. Why don't you, you trust me? Let's see what happens. Come to me. This is about whether you're going to be a leader. Things go wrong. I trust the members of the uh, Republican uh, uh, senators who have made the commitments relative to how we should proceed with, and what would be included in the package. You think he lied to you? I don't think. I know. We have listened to the wisdom of, in an old Russian maxim. If only you trusted me. Though my pronunciation may give you difficulty, the maxim is dovayai no provayai. Trust, but verify. <laughs> there it is. I've heard that a couple times lately. Coming up on Sound On, we assemble the panel. Republican strategist Amy Tarkany and former Democratic Senator Mark Begich of Alaska. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, Manchin won't support reconciliation without knowing more. But as we just discussed with Bill Hoagland, that's technically not new. We get into it with the panel. Today, we're joined by Republican strategist Amy Tarkanian, former chair of the Nevada State GOP, along with former Democratic Senator Mark Begich of Alaska, and great to have both of you with us. Senator, I'm going to start with you because you've been through this before, or at least you've been close to debates like these. I wonder if you were moved by Joe Manchin's comments today. What made him come out to reiterate all of that on this Monday in Washington? Well, you know, it seemed like over the weekend, it was a lot of uh, action in the House side trying to get something ready for Monday, Tuesday, then it kind of fell apart. And then here you are on Monday with Joe Manchin making his statement. I think part of that is, you know, he's honestly concerned about the level of spending and what will work in the economy. But at the end of the day, I, I believe he'll end up voting for an infrastructure and a reconciliation bill. He wants the infrastructure bill, but it's kind of a who trusts who first. And that's huh. what's going on right now. And that's going to continue for a while. Who do you trust, Amy? And I ask you that with a smirk here. 
I'll, I'll add a headline, Amy, to this. We just uh, saw this cross the terminal, Gottheimer. That would be the, the congressman from New Jersey says salt will be included in economic package. Does that mean that that framework last week wasn't really a framework and we need a new framework? <laughs> well, it, it seems that this is uh, kind of going on much longer than I think everyone pretty much anticipated. Um, so, yeah, I mean, might as well just pour the salt into the wound directly at this <laughs> point, um, especially for the Democrats. Now, you know, I, I, I think it's I agree with the senator, actually. You know, this is nothing new for Senator Manchin. Um, he's known for wanting to come out looking like the bigger person. He wants to make it look like he's in control and it's his idea and he's the savior of whatever bill may be uh, being discussed at the moment. Um, he does like the grandstand. He does like the cameras. However, I do agree with him in waiting for the text. Um, I don't see a problem with that. Uh, the fact that they had the initial bill, you know, at $3.5 trillion, um, and then they were able to cut it down roughly half that size, I think was was a good discussion and, and an important one to have. So not everything has been cut from from their bill of basically everything but the kitchen sink that they threw. They still do, you know, they still do get some of their wants as far as maybe some of the investments for climate change, um, expanding the monthly child tax credit. But, you know, I think that we're all going to be okay if we don't have free community college, because on my side, we know nothing is free. Senator, talk to me about this idea of the framework. Do we need a new word here? How often was it that you sat and waited for the actual text to land on your desk? And I know everyone wants to think that everyone reads everything, but, you know, we you get something that's a couple thousand pages long. There's staff reading portions of it for you. Sometimes maybe it's not all fully baked until that day you're voting. Maybe you're always the type who needed a CBO score and 72 hours to read that thing. Talk to us about this because this, this framework business is getting old. Yeah, I I think, you know, it's like a house. You always have a frame, but then you add on those additional rooms because your spouse says, Hey, I want this done right. I want you're blaming the spouse for all of this now. (laughs) Well, that's right. And it could be either, you know. Okay, I got it. You know, I want the men's cave, you know, I want my special room. But here's what's happening. Um, I think a couple of things. One, I totally agree. And I this may surprise you. I I would want to see the bill. It's 1,700 pages right now. You know, you want to understand the impact of this bill. And I think there is a an effort in Congress, especially in the last 10 years or so, that they just kind of run these things through without people spending the time to examine them. If you, the bipartisan bill that passed the Senate, they need to do a, what they call a manager's markup because there's so many mistakes in it that they got to clean up in order for it to be implemented. So I think the framework, and I think it's better to say it's a goal because, you know, the framework sounds like it's solid. And the reality is it's not. For example, if salt gets in, included in that, mm-hmm. the question is, is it for 10 years? Is it right. permanent? Is it for one year? Because it's a big-ticket item. costs a lot of money. CBO, I always have a heartburn over CBO. They're like a group of people. I love them. I know them. <laughs> but they sit in their room, and they come up with numbers that sometimes don't make a lot of sense. Huh. And then Congress can ignore it, which is even crazier. It is. Yeah. What gives you heartburn, dynamic or the lack of dynamic scoring? If you're asking me, I'd actually yeah. like dynamic scoring. I know the Republicans. They love don't, it, though. Do I they? Liked it. <laughs> okay, Amy. Uh, yeah. What talk to me about this as a as a vehicle 
uh, for messaging in Europe. President Biden spent the weekend at the G20 in Rome. He's on to COP26 now. And we're told that his success overseas rides on the outcome here. But he's talking over there essentially like it's already done. And I don't see anybody asking questions at COP26 aside from his own news here on on Sunday. I mean, are, are is the foreign press asking about reconciliation versus versus the infrastructure and what the timeline is? I guess I'm having a hard time understanding the direct connection. No, I, I think that you are understanding it just the way that the rest of the world is actually understanding and seeing um, what's what's being laid before us. Um, as far as the hard questions coming at the president, I have not heard of the hard questions myself either. Yeah. And it seems to me more that this is a gathering or a get-together of old pals just ready to ex- exchange um, pleasantries and notes and pat each other on the back and then, you know, whisk in on their private jets and have all their <laughs> Not a fan. idling on the side street. <laughs> Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin spent the weekend, a busy weekend, on the trail. And they're back at it again today, barnstorming the state of Virginia, or should I say the Commonwealth, on the eve of the election. And we're joined for analysis by political technologist Eric Wilson, StartupCaucus.com. He's former digital director for Ed Gillespie's 2017 run for governor in Virginia, and he joins us now. Eric, welcome to Bloomberg Radio. Hey, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Well, here we are in the final throes of this campaign, and I'm sure you've got a lot of memories that are flowing back. You've directed two statewide campaigns in Virginia And so I'd like to start big picture here. The candidates are trying to appeal to some very different demographics as you travel the state, the wealthy D.C. suburbs to some of the poorest towns in the country in Virginia. Which will decide the outcome here? Well, the uh, volume of voter turnout is is obviously in the uh, population-rich suburbs of northern Virginia and the suburbs around Richmond and Virginia Beach. But keep in mind that there are just as many voters in the ninth, 5th, and 6th congressional districts as there are in those more uh, suburban congressional districts. So uh, turnout uh, is really the, the main factor in determining who wins, uh, and as cliche as it is to say that, but uh, the, the challenge will be to see who uh, wins the suburbs. Certainly in a race this close, turnout is everything, right? Both candidates are holding rallies with their closing arguments, Eric, in Roanoke, Virginia Beach, Richmond, and Northern Virginia. What does that tell you about the state of the race, the areas that they're looking in? Well, it's, uh, you're going for the most bang for your buck right now. So in the final stretch of the, the campaign, you want to hit all of the media market. Uh, I know both campaigns have been traveling to smaller communities throughout the Commonwealth and have been uh, working really hard. Uh, Glenn Youngkin wrapped up, I think, eight days of, of being on a bus. And so they're closing out in the, the major areas where you have significant media market uh, and you really need to crank your turnout. I don't know if we can draw any conclusions from the early voting numbers, but I'll ask you about them, Eric. The Virginia Public Access Project shows as of Saturday, more than 1.1 million people voted early, either by mail or, or absentee ballot. There are 5.9 million registered voters in the state. So for an off year, does that number tell you anything that we can draw conclusions from? Because Virginia doesn't have party registration, we can't tell who those people are right, that are right. that are voting. Certainly that the campaigns have a good idea 
uh, based on the their own ID work and and their own turnout operations. But the the takeaway has to be if if you haven't voted yet, uh, Tuesday is your day. You've got to get out and vote. You can't uh, read too much into these early voting numbers. But sure. represents a significant shift post COVID to people voting by mail or or voting when polling places are less crowded. And we should note that people can drop a ballot, uh, can actually mail in a ballot as late as November 2nd. It's an election, Eric Wilson, with national implications. At least that's what we keep hearing uh, since it's the first big one post-Trump. And boy, we've seen some big name Democrats come into the state to support Terry McAuliffe from Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams has been around the state. Will the sort of political celebrities, if I can call them that, help or hurt McAuliffe in Virginia? Well, I think Virginians are, are, are used to it. Uh, the, the reason uh, Virginia draws so many big, bold-letter names from both parties is because it is the only show in town uh, this year. We have uh, uh, elections every year in Virginia. Uh, our motto is Virginians for lovers, uh, but it's also for lovers of elections. <laughs> and so a lot of people who are trying to try out for 2024 and beyond want to come through Virginia hmm. and show their chops also conveniently located across the Potomac River from our nation's <laughs> capital in Washington, D.C. So it's easier to get to than some other states. But it's the reason the campaigns tap into these big names is because it it makes sure that uh, voters are aware that there is an election this year because mm-hmm. Virginia is unique. And the other reason that it gets so much national attention is because you have all these uh, political reporters who are starved after a, a grueling presidential campaign, and, and this is their first race to, to write about. Well, so what issues are going to decide this race, Eric? We're certainly hearing a lot about education. Well, so across the country, you know, we're seeing concerns around mask and vaccine mandate, uh, how we uh, fund our police, deal with criminal justice, and then the hot button issue, which is critical race theory and school mask mandates, all the education issues that have have come to the forefront nationally. But the hotbeds have been uh, here in uh, Northern Virginia and other communities around the Commonwealth where they have taken on, you know, specific instances in different communities and and parents are are really engaged. You see all around the Commonwealth parents for Yunkin signs. He has really taken on the mantle of being a champion for parents and their um, advocacy for their their children's education. And Terry McAuliffe gave him a really big gift in the second debate when he mentioned uh, that he didn't think that parents should be in charge of their children's education. So is it the cultural stuff? Is it the culture wars that will decide this race? Well, so the Democrats definitely want to make it about the, the cultural war issues. But really what's going on are these, these specific policy approaches in these local communities that the governor will have direct input on. And so that's why you're seeing so much enthusiasm for Glenn Youngkin, because what um, Terry McAuliffe has tried to do is make this a, a national referendum on Donald Trump. Um, and, and just sort of trying to leverage his deep unpopularity in northern Virginia suburbs to, to crank up his turnout. He really hasn't addressed many of these issues or policies that, that Glenn Youngkin is trying to talk about. So while it may seem like these are culture war issues, they actually have real implications for, for the residents of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Eric Wilson, political technologist and managing partner at Startup Caucus. Many thanks for your insights, Eric. Love to talk to you when we find out who won. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it.
Interesting view there. And by the way, we will note that you're, you'll hear a lot of coverage on Election Day tomorrow here on Bloomberg Radio. If you are in Virginia, if you're listening on our Washington, D.C. station, 6 a.m., polls open at 6, close at 7 in Virginia. By the way, Glenn Youngkin says he will not attend a so-called tele-rally that Donald Trump is holding tonight. Instead, he'll be in Loudoun County, ground zero for the school's issue to hold a Parents Matter rally. McAuliffe will be denouncing the former president's tele-rally later on. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Here's a headline. Sabato says Virginia leans GOP. Not good for Terry McAuliffe. What happened? As I read candidates in Virginia and New Jersey, the only two states holding gubernatorial races this year battled for last-minute voters with the election a day away. Democrats fighting to hang on to control in both states, the first major ones major elections since Joe Biden became president. And we reassemble the panel here for our remaining moments on Sound On, joined by Amy Tarkanian, Republican strategist, former Nevada State GOP chairwoman, as well as the former Alaska senator, Mark Bagich, strategic consulting advisor now at Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek. Thanks again, both of you, for being here. Amy, what's your thought on Virginia? Can Republicans pull this out? And if so... Do they have Donald Trump to thank or not? Uh, well, I don't I don't want to say yes and no to that, uh, mm-hmm. because I think that the majority of people are now realizing that maybe if they weren't comfortable with the president's personality, maybe they're now regretting uh, not having some of his policies since the Biden administration is failing so miserably in so many areas. Um do I think that the GOP is going to come out on top? I certainly hope so, but I, I am definitely not you know, counting all my eggs before they hatch. Uh, this is a state, um, I'm discussing Virginia at the moment, yeah. um, that is a Democratic trifecta. And I also live in a state currently in Nevada that's also a Democratic trifecta. So I know it's an uphill battle. And technically, I think it's, um, is it hopeful? Yes. Is it a done deal? No. So Republicans should not get complacent. Yeah. Senator Begich, I'll ask you the flip side of that, maybe a different way of getting to this. Has has Terry McAuliffe made too much of the Trump effect in this race to the point of it being a liability for him? No, I don't think so. I think he's done both. I think he's talked about Trump. And if I was the Republicans, I wouldn't want Trump coming into Virginia, maybe Alabama mm-hmm. or Mississippi, but not Virginia. And so I think what's happening now is, you know, there's people are in the last five, 10 percent that are starting to make decisions. They're starting to look at now outside of personalities, what issues they care about, education, crime, budget, those kinds of issues. But, no, I think, you know, they both have run tough campaigns. They've both been hard on each other. I do agree that, it's a, you know, it's a blue state to a certain degree. But I would put this cautionary note to Democrats that, you know, when it's one point margin, Right now, you want to have a two, three point margin. Why? Because Republicans are notorious for saying, I don't like my candidate. But then at the end of the day, they vote for him. Democrats might say, I don't like my candidate. And a portion of them do not vote for their candidate. (laughs) So the Democrats need a little bit more margin, I think, to give them a much more better, you know, more secure. And it's going to be at the end of the day, all about turnout. And Mm -hmm. that is the name of the game that's going on, as you know, with early vote, but also today. 
That's right. I want to ask you about fashion in this race. This is serious. I'm actually being serious. Glenn Youngkin, much has been made of the fact that Glenn Youngkin wears the fleece vest every day. Doesn't matter what time of day or the weather. Terry McAuliffe goes with the button-down shirt, sleeves rolled up. Is there political messaging going on here, Amy, with the, the way these men are consistently dressing every day? Does the fleece vest project some something that I should be aware of? <laughs> uh, it sounds to me like they're both trying to come across as, as your average, everyday, blue-collar, uh, down-to-earth individual. Yes, that's what, that's what I believe. That's why you don't see either one of them in, in a three-piece suit. You don't see either one of them uh, rolling up in ex- expensive, fancy cars. Yes, there is a reason. Senator, did you have to wear a barn jacket yeah. to get elected in Alaska? In Alaska, you know, what, what you're seeing, finally Virginia's figured it out. We call that the Alaska suit. You know, we, we are, you know, those are the clothes we wear up there. And actually, i got to say one thing, and bad for the suit makers, but good for the uh, jacket, uh, sweatshirts, sleeves guys that uh, – <laughs> COVID has given a more casual appearance yes. to uh, the professional scene, and I think huh. that's the long play. I think politicians finally unbut- you know, unbuttoned their shirt and took their tie off for the first time, and uh, I think that's good for all of us. But that's the Alaska suit they've been wearing, so I'm glad they've caught up to our trends. All right, good job. So you set the trend. While you're both here, I there want to ask go. you about the Supreme Court. Uh, this is awfully important, and it, it, it's interesting how we, we see this term. A lot of these stories are being overshadowed by the daily uh, political news, whether it's uh, reconciliation or, in this case, elections, the president's trip. Headline on the terminal, Kavanaugh Barrett voiced skepticism about Texas abortion law. This is pretty important. This key Supreme Court justices, as I read, raised the prospect they might act to halt Texas' far-reaching abortion ban, questioning the state's contention that federal courts cannot block the law. The enforcement component here is the issue, uh, Amy, the fact that your neighbor would be the one to turn you in if you violated this law. Will it be the conservative justices who end this? Well, I, I find this tough to actually succeed because of the way that it was so poorly written. So even though I am pro-life, I actually do not think that this bill should pass with the way that it's written. What do you think, Senator? Kavanaugh characterized the provision as a loophole that's been exploited, expressing concern it could be used as a model to restrict other freedoms, including... Gun rights, the Second Amendment. Yeah, you know, maybe the justices will do what's right and do, you know, follow the law and look at the long-term impacts of these kind of, you know, gerrymandered laws. And I would say this, that it's always this case on these kinds of issues that the people on both sides to some degree always step too far. They try to test how far they can go. And I think it's going to be interesting if Barrett and Kavanaugh uh, vote to get rid of that law, that's going to be earth-shaking to Republican conservatives that have been praying literally for this day. We should note Kavanaugh and Barrett were in the majority when the court let the law take effect. That was the 1st of September. It seems like a lot longer ago in a 5-4 to four vote. This could have uh, a real broad precedent-setting implications here, Amy, with, for instance, the Mississippi law that's also up for mm-hmm. consideration. Right. That's coming, I think, on December 1st, um, if I recall correctly. But, you know, that that one's completely different, where I think it's at 15 weeks of gestation. And there is not the uh, provision where you are able to sue um, private entities or private you know, people for 
say like you're an Uber driver and you're going to take someone to go and get an abortion. Now you can sue the Uber driver. Right. I mean, that, that's ludicrous to me. Um, once again, I'm pro-life, but I find this bill to be a mess. Um, the Mississippi bill is, is completely different where it doesn't have that loophole, so to speak. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to have to compare apples with oranges in, in those two scenarios. How do you see this one coming to an end, Senator? Do you have a do you have a gut check on this case? Yeah, I actually agree with Amy that I think the Mississippi one is a little different. But again, you know, it's I'm not sure where it's going to end up now. I think if the justices had their way, they'd rather have much smaller bites to apple in the sense of how to diminish the rights for women to decide what they want to do with their bodies. I think that's what would be a better approach for them because they can take it piece by piece. But these more broader sweeps like this put the court in a very uh, tough position. But I think this one, the Mississippi one's a little different, and I'm not sure where it's going to land at the end of the day. I want to ask you both in our remaining moments here just about what you think might happen tomorrow. We'll get back to where we started this hour. An important caucus meeting, a leadership meeting that we started the program telling you about in the House. We can add a headline on the terminal. Pelosi says, hoping for vote this week on Biden agenda. This week is not tomorrow. Amy, do you have uh, odds on on whether we get a vote on either or both bills this week? Well, I I think, did you use the word hope? Did she say hope? I'm hoping to get a vote. (laughs) Hoping for vote this week. You said it. Okay, well, that's the key word right there. So, you know, Nancy doesn't usually slip. She doesn't usually make mistakes. And so I think by inserting hope, that gives her a little bit of wiggle room. So this is sliding. You're seeing the timeline move. Senator, your thoughts on this, knowing everything we knew going into today, but you add Joe Manchin and you add a Monday evening leadership meeting, a caucus meeting, apparently uh, in the House, where they're probably banging their heads together a little bit here. Does this actually change the picture at all? What kind of a expectation do you have for progress tomorrow yeah i don't think the caucus meeting tonight changes minds i think it gets more information on the table i've always said this is a sadly all these will be decided in december uh maybe sooner but i think the problem is you got debt ceiling continuing resolution a budget bill the national defense authorization bill which usually is the simple bill is still stuck um I, I just don't know how they get there this week. And I think, you know, so I would give the odds on Friday, let's just say Friday, mm-hmm. I get, I'll, I'll, I'll roll 25% odds that they vote on one or both, but no more than that. Boy, that's not terribly hopeful. You bring up uh, an interesting point here, <laughs> December 3rd. Does the debt ceiling after Janet Yellen seemed to give the clear, at least with her own conscience over the weekend, Senator, the debt ceiling end up being handled through reconciliation, a, a Democrat-only approach? Yeah, I would say this on the debt ceiling. I think it should be part of budget reconciliation because they're both related. What people forget is the debt ceiling is about the bills that were paid already, not this bill that's in front of us. And Republicans have voted for it. Democrats Mm -hmm. have voted for it. It's turned into this ridiculous partisan battle, which means nothing at the end of the day because everyone votes for some portion depending on who's in power. I'd put it with the reconciliation bill, call it good, because if the Republicans take control next year or next cycle, then they get to deal with it. But let's quit the politics on the debt ceiling because it puts people, you know, in the markets especially, into somewhat slight turmoil. But now they're building it into their market pricing is, ah, it's going to happen again, but they won't, yeah. they won't default. So Sounds like you agree, that. Amy. Did I get that right? Yes, that is correct. All right. Amy Tarkanian, Republican strategist. 
and former Alaska Senator Mark Bagich. Great talk. Thanks to both of you for being with us. Our panel for this Monday, I'm Joe Matthews. See you back here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.